SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV Radio broadcasts from, the Camaragal people and their elders past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from fresh water to salt water. Yura Damarang, I'm your host Luana Grant and welcome to NITV Radio for this Wednesday the 20th of September. Coming up on the show today, I chat to New South Wales Training Awards, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander of the Year recipient, 17-year-old Zali Reynolds, who is currently completing her Certificate 3 in Allied Health Assistance as a school-based trainee at TAFE New South Wales. Also coming up on today's show, the Yes campaign for an Indigenous voice to Parliament is, conf- is confident momentum is rising after thousands around the country turn out in support at weekend rallies. And NITV Radio chats to Carla Grant. All these stories and more coming to you after the latest news. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy erected outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. They've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. In this bulletin, Cathy Freeman pledges support for an Indigenous voice to Parliament. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese defends the government's focus on an Indigenous voice to Parliament referendum. And more than 5 million Australians on welfare have their payments boosted. Olympic champion Cathy Freeman has encouraged Australians to back the Indigenous Voice to Parliament referendum. The gold medal winning runner has become the latest Indigenous backer of the Yes vote, joining the likes of football stars Jonathan Thurston and Eddie Betts in calling for support. Freeman says it is her belief the Voice would help Indigenous kids get the very best start in life. I can't remember a time when change has felt so urgent, when momentum has been so strong. From small towns to big cities, something is in the air. I know all Australians feel it too. We have the chance to be part of a moment that brings people together, to work hard for something that we can all believe in. And right now, each of us can be part of something that really matters. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has defended the government's focus on the Indigenous Voice to Parliament referendum as Australians struggle at the checkout and the Bowser. Mr Albanese says his government is doing a lot when it comes to the economy, environment and cost of living. It comes as Olympic champion Cathy Freeman has become the latest Indigenous backer of the Yes vote. The Prime Minister told radio station 2SM this shouldn't be a controversial proposal. Every other country in the world has done it. This should not be controversial. This is a very modest request. And Cathy Freeman has joined uh, with the overwhelming majority of Indigenous Australians uh, wanting to be recognised in our nation's founding document. And that's all this will do is that and have an advisory group that won't change the way that government functions, doesn't have a right of veto, it won't be a funding body. 
More than 5 million Australians on welfare have had their payments boosted. People on JobSeeker, Youth Allowance, AusStudy, AbStudy and the Youth Disability Support Pension will receive an extra $40 per fortnight in addition to the $16 increase from indexation. The changes were announced in the federal government's May budget as part of its $14.6 billion package to tackle the cost of living crisis. Businesses will be able to bring in foreign skilled workers on potentially as little as $120,000 in a visa process, which will take weeks instead of months. It is part of a migration overhaul, which will make it easier to hire in high demand industries. The Australian Financial Review reports the changes will be part of an upcoming migration review, which will involve the biggest shake-up of a system since the 1990s. Home Affairs Minister Claire O'Neill told Channel 7 the changes won't be about how many migrants can come to Australia, but who can. What I want Australians to understand is this is actually not about how many people come to Australia. It's not about how many people come through. It's about who. It's the first time that our government in a long time has really thought about the question of why we would bring people to Australia through the migration system. What are the big national challenges that we're seeking to solve and design a system around those things? The overall effect of these changes will not be to increase migration in Australia. In fact, the effect of the changes will be to reduce the size of the system a bit. Two men have been arrested over the alleged murder of a major Sydney crime figure who was shot dead while sitting in his car near a shopping precinct. The victim, who died at the scene near Bondi Junction in June, has since been identified as 48-year-old Alan Moradian, a notorious Sydney underworld drug lord who links to the Comanchero bikey gang. Early this morning, detectives arrested a 42-year-old man in Sydney South and a 31-year-old man in Moorbank. The bosses of the big four banks will face an inquiry into rural branch closures as debate about their social responsibility in rural Australia intensifies. Westpac, Commonwealth Bank, ANZ and NAB chief executives are appearing before the inquiry at Parliament House in Canberra. The Senate committee is examining the efforts of more than 600 regional closures since 2017 and has heard from farmers, small businesses and councils. Commonwealth Bank Chief Executive Matt Common says he wants to see the bank having a higher market share in regional communities. The reality today is that more than 90% of customers stay with their existing bank after a branch is closed. I remember meeting a community leader in a regional town who was challenging our decision to close a branch. I was told of the negative effect of closing that branch would have on the community, particularly given it was the last in town. But consistent with our experience... Uh, that person hadn't moved their own banking and was a customer of one of our competitors, which had long since left the town. Australia has pledged $3.5 million towards supporting the international nuclear regulator as Pacific leaders criticised the dumping of wastewater from Japan. Japan has sparked controversy in the region by staging the release of treated nuclear wastewater into the Pacific, splitting regional leaders about its safety. The International Atomic Energy Agency gave the plan the green light, saying the impact on the environment would be negligible and Australia has said it supports the science and the nuclear watchdog's assessment. Foreign Minister Penny Wong says Australia is not among those worried about the treated water release. These are projects which will make a tangible difference, including improving access 
to equitable, affordable and sustainable radiotherapy services and building the cancer care workforce in the Asia-Pacific and in Africa and our support for the IAEA's Global Water Analysis Laboratory to help make water resource management in the Pacific and Southeast Asia more sustainable. The Bureau of Meteorology says the country can expect its hottest summer in three years now that Australia is officially in the El Nino climate pattern. Dr Carl Braganza, the Bureau's Manager of Climate Services, says the country should get ready for increased temperatures. Globally, um, the El Nino really means that we have a continuation of the global heat that we've seen in the global oceans in particular, and the global oceans have been at record temperatures since about April Um, So consistently what we are probably projecting for the summer is that Australia will continue to see warm and dry weather and it's really up to individuals and communities now to prepare for a a summer of um, um, heat and, and fire hazards. The East Coast is already experiencing unseasonally warm September temperatures with Sydney expecting to hit 34 degrees today and parts of South Australia and Queensland also feeling the heat. A total fire ban has been declared for the New South Wales South Coast and Greater Sydney regions. Emergency services are on high alert as hot temperatures are spreading across large parts of New South Wales, Queensland, South Australia and the Northern Territory. The fire danger warning for New South Wales' far south coast has been upgraded to catastrophic and several fires are burning at watch and act level. New South Wales Rural Fire Service spokesperson Greg Allen says residents need to take precautions. It's important that if you're in an area of a total fire ban, and that's the greater Sydney region and the far south coast area, um, that you don't do anything that's going to start a fire. So no hot works out in the open, uh, no barbecues, anything that could create a spark or an amber and therefore introduce a new fire. Importantly as well, if you see a fire with no trucks, it's important to call triple zero straight away so that our crews can respond and limit the spread of that fire. And now for a look at today's weather. Perth, partly cloudy 22. Adelaide, a shower or two 17. Melbourne, a shower or two 17. Hobart, showers easing windy 14. Aubrey-Wodonga, a shower or two 20. Canberra, becoming windy, sunny 23. Wollongong, windy, late cool change 30. Sydney, windy, sunny 34. Newcastle, similar conditions, 35. Brisbane, sunny, 29. Townsville, partly cloudy, 29. Cairns, much the same, 29. Alice Springs, partly cloudy, 36. Darwin, mostly sunny, 33. And the Torres Strait Islands, also sunny, 31. And that is NITV Radio News. TV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. You're with NITV Radio. Welcome back. I'm your host, Luana Grant, and you're listening to NITV Radio. Still to come on the show, NITV Radio's Birchin Tungandami chats to Carla Grant about how the Sami People's Indigenous Parliament has worked over the past three decades as she guest presents a special episode of Dateline on SBS. And I catch up with New South Wales Training Awards Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander of the Year recipient, 17-year-old Zali Reynolds.
But first, the Yes campaign for an Indigenous voice to Parliament is confident momentum is rising after thousands around the country turned out in support at weekend rallies. But the No Camp says Australians remain on track to vote down the proposal at the October 14th referendum. Side by side, political foes of all stripes gathered in Sydney united in support of The Voice. From former Liberal New South Wales Premier Barry O'Farrell. This is a mass movement by people who are united. Indigenous Australians, multicultural Australians, those people that look more like me than others. All united for recognition to deliver a united, better and fairer Australia. To the state's current Labor Energy Minister, Penny Sharp holding hands with our Aboriginal brothers and sisters and aunties and uncles who are asking us to take this very important step, a step of recognition, a step of actually giving voice to the issues that they care about. We showed what unity looks like. We show how when we work together we can be more powerful than we've ever thought we could be. And Independent MP Alex Greenwich. The excitement that was there on the weekend reminded me of five years ago with the marriage equality campaign. The energy and excitement from Australians from all walks of life to shape our nation as a fairer, more equal and better place is certainly there. Federal counterparts like Green Senator Sarah Hanson-Young also buoyed by the weekend turnout. Right across the country. Everyday Australians stepping forward with their hearts and their minds and knowing that voting yes on October 14 is the right thing to do. It's time to do it. It's important to do it. Independent MP Allegra Spender says it's a chance to write the next chapter in the country's history. Where we come together, the three stands of, of, our, of our Indigenous brothers and sisters, of our British institutions, of our multicultural Australia, and we bring them together into a future unified Australia. After a string of bad polls for the Yes campaign, Indigenous leader Noel Pearson believes the weekend showed momentum was shifting. They turned up for unity, they turned up for hope and optimism for the country, and they turned up to change our constitution for the better. The inclusion of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as first peoples of Australia in the Australian constitution is the unfinished business for the nation. But opponents of an Indigenous voice to Parliament remain unimpressed. Opposition leader Peter Dutton hitting out at Anthony Albanese's handling of the referendum. This train wreck of a campaign that the Prime Minister is presiding over has seen 60-40% support for the voice drop to 40-60 against. I don't think people are voting no on the 14th of October uh, because they are against helping Indigenous Australians, quite the opposite. I don't think they're against uh, recognising Indigenous Australians in the Constitution, but they are against the voice. The No Camp is dealing with contradictions within its own ranks after campaigner Warren Mundine expressed his support for treaties and changing the date of Australia Day. Arguments that have been used against the Yes case. Peter Dutton forced to distance himself from Mr Mundine's stance. A government I lead will not enter into billions of dollars worth of treaty negotiations that will just see rich lawyers in Sydney and Melbourne get richer. 
With federal parliament not in session, the Yes campaign is hoping its message will resonate more on the ground. There are now just under four weeks to go, and the Australian Electoral Commission says since the referendum announcement, there have been more than 240,000 enrolment transactions submitted. Stay informed on the 2023 Indigenous Voice to Parliament referendum from across the SBS network, including First Nations perspectives through NITV. Visit the SBS Voice referendum portal to access articles, videos and podcasts in over 60 languages or stream the latest news and analysis, docos and entertainment for free at the Voice Referendum Hub on SBS On Demand. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV radio. And that story was produced by Gareth Borham for SBS News. We'll be back with more after the break. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV radio. Welcome back. I'm your host, Luana Grant. Welcome back. I'm your host, Luana Grant, and you're listening to NITV Radio. Still to come on the program, I chat to New South Wales Training Awards Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander of the Year recipient, 17-year-old Zali Reynolds. But first, while a debate on an Indigenous voice to Parliament rages on in Australia, other countries have successfully given voice to their Indigenous peoples in their legal and constitutional frameworks. Last night, Carla Grant, executive producer of Australia's longest-running Indigenous current affairs program, guest presented a special episode of SBS's Dateline, exploring the Sami Parliament of Norway. This parliament has successfully served the Sami Indigenous people of Norway for more than 30 years. Can this model inform Australia's proposed Indigenous voice to parliament? To find out more, NITV Radio's Bertrand Tungandami spoke to Carla. The Sami people are the indigenous people of the Sápmi region, which uh, spans across northern parts of Norway, Sweden, Finland and into Russia. There's about 80 to 100,000 uh, Sami people across that area. They have a very similar history to First Nations people here in Australia, a history of you know, colonisation, of dispossession. Um, they weren't able to speak their language or practice their culture or even wear their traditional dress and, and many Sami people I spoke to while I was in Norway said that, um, you know, uh, thousands of years ago um, or hundreds of years ago even, um, it was better to be under Norway's rule rather than um, to be a Sami person because if you were Sami, you had no rights at all. You lost your, you know, you weren't able to speak your language, practice culture, wear your traditional dress. You had no rights at all um, and you lost everything. So it was much easier to be uh, a Norwegian than to be Sami. But, you know, uh, fast forward to present day, uh, the Sami people have come a long way. They, as you said in your intro, um, they have their own parliament, um, which was established 34 years ago now. Um, it was done by a legislation, not, it's not enshrined in their constitution and um, that was yeah, in 87, the Sami Act and then it, uh, they started the business of the parliament in 1989 so uh, it's been going since then. They've made an outstanding progress there. Indigenous peoples of Norway have their own parliament uh, whereas uh, back home here we are barely talking about uh, voting on an Indigenous voice to Parliament, uh, we are not yet there and uh, the debates are heated. Whereas 
the Norwegians have made a really tremendous progress. Exactly, yes. It, it's an actual, their own parliament. They actually have an, their own parliamentary building, which is in Karashok, a town in uh, Norway. It's been going for over three decades now. Um, they have some, had some very good success with um, the parliament over the years in, in terms of uh, revitalising their Sami language and culture and the power to dictate what the Sami curriculum is for Sami students. They also have their own funding, which is something, uh, it's a different proposal to what we're looking at here. They actually have funding for various projects and we actually visited a, a, a kindergarten where a Sami kindergarten teacher is uh, teaching the Sami language to kindy kids, which is really great to see because, you know, uh, this uh, Sami kindergarten teacher saw the need for more language speakers. Uh, his daughter actually attends that kindergarten. He felt really sad that, you know, there weren't many language speakers around, so he actually retrained. He was a former bodybuilder and security guard, and now he's retrained thanks to... Um, funds from the Sami parliament to be able to retrain and then uh, teach the Sami language. So they've had huge success in that area. Yeah, a big bodyguard, a big bodyguard yeah, teaching little kids. That uh, <laughs> <laughs> This has parallels with the situation uh, back in Australia where First Nations people weren't allowed to speak their language. But the Sami people have made uh, quite an achievement. Uh, now they're able to teach their language in uh, kindergarten. Uh, quite an achievement there. Yes, it is a huge achievement, you know, considering uh, where, you know, the, the situation or the position that Sami people were in, you know, hundreds of years ago where they couldn't even speak their language or culture, you know, practice their culture and wear traditional dress. Uh, now they can proudly, you know, uh, speak their language and they have a, actually attended a festival called the Ridu Ridu Festival, uh, which is a celebration of uh, Scandinavia's First Nations people and that started off as being a very small gathering of some Sami people and now it's a, it's a huge festival where First Nations people from right around the globe actually attend that festival and you can see just the, the pride that they, they have, the Sami people, in wearing their traditional dress they are able to speak their own language. It's also a place where they can talk about politics because they're quite a political people as well. So there are a lot of similarities between First Nations people in Australia and the Sami people in Norway. And that festival you just described, uh, for me, sounds a bit like uh, the Gama Festival. Exactly, yeah. It was very, very similar to the Gama Festival. Uh, you know, the Gama Festival is a, is a cultural festival as, as well as a place where, you know, First Nations people go to talk about political issues. So, um, yeah, very, very similar. And when it comes to influencing policies that affect them on a daily basis, uh, I gather you mentioned the achievements in terms of language. Are their languages officially recognised and used in... Because previously they were banned, but now are they used in a daily basis in an official capacity? Yeah, well, uh, the Sami language is now the official second language of Norway, so it's officially recognised as a language there, and, and there are, you know, many people now who are speaking the Sami language, and you know, as um, you see in the documentary, uh, there are um, you know Sami uh, teachers speaking the language and teaching that to children, so they can pass it on, you know, to children and and future generations. So it's something that has been recognised in Norway. 
and is you know really vibrant and and uh, really alive and they're very very proud in you know that they're able to speak their own language now. Yeah, beside language and culture, which uh, was uh, actually there was a cultural genocide uh, by preventing people to talk about to speak their language or practice their culture. There is also with colonization come uh, land rights and uh, displacement of people and all that. Uh, how is the situation uh, in Norway with uh, the first peoples there and uh, their lands? Yes, that's a good point, um, Bertrand. They, um, the, while they're having huge success with the revitalization of their language and culture, uh, they are struggling to be heard on the issue of uh, land rights, and uh, and that's due to Norway's uh, shift towards green energy in that country. There's a, a number of controversial green energy projects being set up on Sami lands, and that's having huge um, impacts on the uh, Sami reindeer herders. Reindeer are very sacred to the Sami people, and and that's a tradition that they practice for thousands of years. This uh, practice of reindeer herding. Now the big uh, renewable uh, energy companies are moving into Norway and taking over a lot of Sami land and we actually met a, a reindeer herder by the name of Ray Ulf and he took us onto his land and there were over 60 wind turbines on his land and they're huge great big things and it's having an impact on him uh, in terms of you know during the winter time he's not able to take his reindeer up there to graze on that land because during winter time uh, you know as you can imagine there's lots of snow and ice the ice builds up on the windmill blades and uh, then great big one kilogram chunks fly off those windmill blades at a speed of 200 k's if that was to uh, you know, hit a person or a reindeer, well, that will be the end of them. They'll die. So it's very, very dangerous to, you know, take his reindeer and to herd up there during the winter time. So he's been in a bit of a battle with a company to try and, you know, come to some sort of agreement whereby they turn off the windmills for a certain period of time during the winter time. But there's a bit of a stalemate happening there at the moment. But there was a big case whereby two reindeer herders uh, backed by the Sami parliament took a green energy company to the Supreme Court and they actually won the case. And the Supreme Court ruled that it violated the cultural rights of the Sami because they weren't able to undertake their traditional custom of reindeer herding. That was in 2021, but unfortunately um, the, the, the windmills, well, they were, they were ordered to take the windmills down but they're still standing at this present time and I believe the Norwegian government is trying to sort of work with that green energy company and the um, Sami reindeer herders to try and come to, you know, come, to, come to some sort of agreement where they can coexist. To me it sounds like there are parallels between what's happening in Norway and what we experience in Australia with uh, whereas in Norway it's uh, green energy companies encroaching on uh, indigenous people's lands in Australia it's more mining and uh, energy companies uh, uh, encroaching on uh, traditional owners' lands and uh, encroaching on their lands and uh, impeding on uh, their land very much, yeah. It's a very similar situation to what we face here in Australia with, you know, um, mining companies taking control of Aboriginal land and, you know, setting up industry. You know, we saw what happened with Duke and Gorge, uh, the devastating, um, you know, impact there of, of um, blowing up those 
thousands of year old caves and um, mining companies need to talk to traditional owners about the land and development and, and um, ensure that you know no sacred areas are going to be you know disrupted or destroyed. Um, but yeah, in terms of the Sami people, they're having huge um, battles with green energy companies at the moment. So you know while uh, moving towards you know they're trying to move towards net zero and green energy is a good thing, uh, but it's encroaching on their infringing on their you know land and and um, you know violating the rights their cultural rights as reindeer herders, then there's a dilemma there. Yeah. And how do you see the Norwegian experience inform uh, our own uh, Indigenous voice uh, to Parliament, referendum uh, and institutional changes? It was really interesting to go to Norway and to examine what they're doing there, uh, you know, in terms of the, the Sami parliament. And they actually have, there's a Sami parliament in Sweden and in Finland as well. So we didn't get to uh, investigate their parliament. We basically focused on the Norwegian model. You know, there's no quick fixes. Uh, there's no perfect models. They do have their challenges and they do have their critics as well. But what it does give them is a seat at that table, that decision-making table that they didn't have before. It gives them a voice in matters that affect them, and that's something that First Nations people here are talking about in terms of, you know, the Indigenous voice to Parliament. Uh, the, you know, the Yes campaign are talking about, you know, that this, if the referendum is successful, this will give Indigenous people a seat at the decision-making table in. Uh, matters and you know policies and programs that affect them. It's interesting to examine what they're doing in Norway and uh, you know and sort of see whether that application you know will, that model may be able to be applied here. Obviously, they've got their own parliament. We're not talking about having a separate parliament. Let's be clear about that. But we're talking about having an indigenous voice to parliament and to advise the government and the parliament on issues affecting. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. And I believe Marcia Langton and Tom Calmer did look at the Finland model when they were doing their, their report and their co-design process. So it's something to, you know, to consider. That was Carla Grant talking to NITV Radio's Bertrand Tungandami about a special edition of, Epis- of SBS's Dateline, simulcast on SBS and NITV last night. And if you missed the episode, you can now watch this episode on SBS On Demand. We'll be back with more after the break. Hey you, fancy yourself a journal? Here at SBS and NITV, we're looking for mob to apply for the Indigenous Journalism Cadetship Program. What's a cadetship? The cadetship is a 12-month paid position including training and practical reporting to help kickstart your career in journalism. You'll be paired with a mentor and work across NITV, SBS News, Dateline and Inside on TV, radio and online platforms. Once here, you can pitch, produce and tell stories that affect and matter to our communities. We want applicants from all across Australia to apply for the job which is based in Sydney on Camaragal country. Plus you'll have placements in Melbourne and Canberra. How deadly. This position is for people who identify as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and applications are closing soon. So don't delay and apply now. 
Welcome back. You're with NITV Radio. 17-year-old Wiradjuri woman Zali Reynolds has been awarded New South Wales Training Awards Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander of the Year, which recognises the achievement of, of an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander student who displays a strong educational performance and demonstrates the importance of lifelong learning for themselves and their community. I caught up with Zali, who is currently completing her Certificate 3 in Allied Health Assistance as a school-based trainee at TAFE New South Wales, to chat to her about her achievements so far and what her plans are for the future in medicine. Today I'm joined by New South Wales Training Awards Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander of the Year, Zali Reynolds. Zali, thanks so much for coming on NITV Radio to have a chat. No, thank you. Appreciate that. Firstly, can you tell everyone out there listening a little bit about yourself, who's your mob, where you're from? All right, so um, I'm from the Wiradjuri tribe um, and I am from the Central Coast and go to North Lakes High School. And congratulations on being named the 2023 New South Wales Training Awards Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander of the Year. What a great achievement. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. That was a really awesome night and, yeah, very proud to be given that award. And the award recognises the achievement of an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander student who displays a strong educational performance and demonstrates the importance of lifelong learning for themselves and their community. How did it feel to be awarded this uh, achievement? Yeah, no, really awesome. Like, I'm just really glad that, um, that like, the, the hard work that, like, I put into my TAFE course and, you know, other areas of my life, like, was you know, recognised and, you know, the opportunities that it's led to has just been really amazing. And you're currently completing your Certificate 3 in Allied Health uh, Assistance as a school-based trainee at TAFE New South Wales in Gosford. Can you tell us a little bit more about this and how did you decide this is what you wanted to get into, into the health field? Well, um, I've always been very, very interested in, yeah, pursuing a career in health. Um, and yeah, I was, um, chatting with my year advisor at school and she had an email about this course, um, that, you know, allowed you to have actual work experience in a hospital and it was just like, just kind of blew me away at that moment. And I was like, well, that's really awesome that I could, you know, potentially get to work in a hospital. And yeah, so I just jumped on board from there, um, alongside with one of my friends. And you're currently undertaking uh, work placement at Wyong Hospital. What's that experience been like for you actually being able to take what you're learning in, you know, your TAFE environment and actually putting it into practice? And how have you found that experience? Yeah, I found it um, really good. Like the, the stuff that we've learned from TAFE is, you know, definitely very transferable into the, the skills you need in the workplace. Like, for example, um, Things like manual handling, which, you know, comes up a lot in, you know, the hospital setting and infection control and things like that. Just, you know, the basic, um, you know, knowledge that you need to be a worker in the hospital. Um, And, yeah, many other skills like communication. Um, But, yeah, I've just been able to put into um, every day that I work at the hospital. And how long have you been doing this certificate and being uh, at TAFE? I've been, I think it's almost hitting two years. 
And what's your plans after you complete the certificate? Um, well, I'm planning to get a job out of it. It's just like, um, yeah, like so getting the certificate and then 100 days is equivalent to a certificate four, which allows me to get a job straight into the hospital, which I can do while I'm studying at uni. Um, and, you know, hopefully while I'm at uni, I can progress to get into the Doctor of Medicine um, course. And, you know, while I'm doing that, I will still be having experience at the hospital working. And is there any particular area of interest that you've been drawn to more during uh, your studies and your placement? Yeah, um, definitely. The, yeah, the, being a doctor is what I've been mostly drawn to. Um, you know, just seeing them, you know, in the workplace and what they do has, you know, inspired me. And, yeah, that's what I want to pursue. And I read that you're very interested in geriatric medicine. Is that another passion of yours, like, in the medical field? Yes, yes, it is. Like, you know, working because I'm on the geriatric ward of Wyong Hospital. So, you know, I'm every week um, I get to, you know, work with geriatric patients. Um, and, you know, you can hear some really cool stories from them, you know, or life experiences of theirs or life advice or, you know, and, yeah, it's just kind of ignited a passion that, you know, that's something that I might consider when I will be a doctor. And what does your family think of, you know, the field that you're in and your achievements so far? They must be really, really proud of you. Yeah, they're they're very, very proud of me. You will be completing high school very shortly. What is your future plans obviously you said you wanted to become a doctor um is there anything else that you're interested in or passionate about that you want to you know pursue so yeah so i got recently just got early entry into um a science advanced course so i'm very you know interested in science as well mm-hmm. so yeah that is definitely something that will be my future um studying that for a little while before i'm ready to get into the doctor course so yeah Amazing. Well, congratulations on all you've achieved so far. You have a very, very bright future ahead. And thanks for joining us on NITV Radio. Thank you very much. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV Radio. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. And that's all we have time for on today's program. You can listen back to the show anytime online or catch any of our stories on our website at sbs.com.au. NITV Radio will be back on Friday, 1 till 2 p.m., with more stories from right across the country. Today, we leave you with a track by Mao Power featuring Uncle Archie Roach. I'm your host, Lawana Grant. Mandungor, have a great day.